turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll look at verses 7 through 10 this morning. The text is also printed in the bulletin for you. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. Uh, abandonment, abuse, betrayal, blame shifting, codependency, enabling, fighting, neglect, withdrawal, divorce. These are just some options for how you, too, can experience serious brokenness in, in one, one particular kind of relationship, in, in just one kind of relationship that we have in the world. Some options for serious brokenness in, uh, in marriage. Relational brokenness, it saturates and characterizes our lives in this world. It's everywhere, whether we're aware of it or not. This is the social or really uh, spiritual, relational equivalent of the second law of thermodynamics in physics, which probably a lot of you are familiar with. In the closed system of the universe, there's a tendency toward decay, toward disorder, toward disintegration, toward chaos. In the closed system of this universe, there's a tendency toward decay. And it's, it's a law, right? It is a law, capital letters, second law of thermodynamics. Without outside intervention, it's entropy for us. Right? Tendency toward decay. Whether, and that's true whether you're talking about physics or whether you're talking about relationships. This is just the world that we live in, and it is this way because we broke reality through our rebellion against God, through our sin against God. And the good news is we're not without outside intervention, right? So the second law of thermodynamics, the second law of spiritual dynamics, uh, it's in a closed system, things tend toward decay, but it's not a closed system. We're not left without outside intervention. God hasn't left us to ourselves. He hasn't left us to our relational brokenness, but he sent his son Jesus to restore us and restore the whole universe, starting with us, starting with the church, starting with you. So, um, so that's what we're talking about this morning. Let me pray, and then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, we come with great anticipation to your word, not knowing the ways that it might uh, oppose our natural inclinations, not knowing the challenges that it might offer us, but knowing that um, because it comes from you, it, it offers hope and joy and peace and love. And so we want to run to your word instead of away from it. We pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to help uh, to, to make us able to receive your word and to be changed by it into the likeness of Christ, none of which would happen uh, because of our natural inclinations. We pray that you would overcome our natural inclinations in order to do this work in us and to knit us closer to you by your grace as we consider your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time 
to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we've spent several weeks looking at the beginning of Ephesians, and here we really start to get to the heart of this massive, complex sentence um, that stands here at the beginning of uh, the epistle. It says in verse 10, this is kind of the heart of it, that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is God's plan for unity, for cosmic unity. Jesus Christ is God's plan for cosmic unity. Things are out of whack, things are disjointed, things are in disarray, and Jesus is the one in whom all things will be restored and realigned and repaired. And there's a a quote at the beginning of the bulletin for you on the front page by Robert Letham, great author, Uh, read all his books if you can. Um, He's got a great book called Union with Christ, and this is what he says, the renovation of the entire cosmos is to occur under the headship of Christ. Creation was made in Christ. In turn, the cosmos has a purpose. It is held together by the Son. He sustains it at every moment and directs it toward the end he intends for it. That end is himself. All things were created and are sustained for Christ. The reason the universe exists is for the glory of Christ, the Son of God, and the goal toward which it is heading is conformity to him. That kind of gets to the heart of actually what's the key theme going through the book of Ephesians, uh, unity, that we're united in Christ, that Christ is God's plan for cosmic unity, especially maybe uh, first and foremost in the church. And so it says there in verse 10 that the word to unite is um, is a bit of a complicated word. Uh, Different translations uh, try to tackle different aspects of it. It's a really long word in Greek, hard to pronounce, but... um, basically means to sum up or to bring under a new heading. Uh, and it's, it's kind of membership language or body language. Christ is the head. He's, and, and God's plan is to rehead all things in Christ. All things are to find their new head in Christ and to be summed up in him and united in him. It's, it's talking about organic unity, right? All things will be reconnected. They'll find their meaning. They'll find their purpose and significance as was always meant to be, they'll find it in him, in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> That's God's plan for, uh, for this world. A simple but helpful analogy is to liken the cosmos, which is all things, whether things in heaven or things on earth, right? Uh, all things God has made invisible or visible, tangible, intangible, um, to, to summarize that or to liken it to an old wagon wheel. You've probably heard this illustration before, uh, where God's plan is that for this cosmos, this wagon wheel, to have at its center, its hub, its core, the hub of the wheel will be Jesus Christ. All things will be connected to him, radiating outward properly like spokes on the wheel to make this thing work the way it's supposed to work, right? That's the the analogy um, that I think will be helpful to us. Ultimately, it's saying this is a plan for the fullness of time. I think ultimately the fullness of time has yet to come. I think what Paul is talking about uh, here is the time when Jesus returns. Jesus has come into the world once. He's uh, departed from this world. He will come again. We confess that together when we recite the Apostles' Creed during our confession of faith. He will come again, and I think that's what this is talking about, the fullness of time being the return of Jesus Christ when he makes all things new and all things right forever. 
when everything has been put back into the right relationship with God and working the way that it's supposed to because Christ is at the center, right? because all things are summed up and uh, reheaded in him, in the new heavens and the new earth. But Paul knows that we have the beginnings of this. We have the beginning. We have a foretaste of it in the, uh, we have the beginnings of the new heavens and the new earth actually in the church. So at the first coming of Christ into the world, in his life, at his death on the cross, in his resurrection and ascension, and at Pentecost, where he pours out his Holy Spirit onto his people, he established the church as sort of the outpost of this new kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth. It's sort of the, the prototype for the restored cosmos. It's the place in the here and now where we see unity with Christ, where Christ is the center. He's the hub. Right? We see our unity with Christ, and we begin to experience the benefits of that right? in the church. The cosmic wheel with Christ at the hub is beginning to take shape, and the main spokes that we see now are the people in the church. It's the main kind of the way that this... Um, this is working out. The main spokes that we see are the people in the church with their relationships recentered on Jesus. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we already have real unity. Something has been fixed already. We have real unity. Our unity is in Him, and it's in Him alone. And this might not seem like a very profound insight to you, but I assure you, it's a much more uh, it's a, it's a much bigger deal than you you might think. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the other quote that's printed at the beginning of the bulletin from Life Together, uh, which is worth paying ten times the book for the first chapter. <laughs> um, get that book and read it. Uh, Life Together, he says, He who looks upon his brother should know that he will be eternally united with him in Jesus Christ. Not what a man is in himself as a Christian, his spirituality and piety constitutes the basis of our community. What determines our brotherhood is what that man is by reason of Christ. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. And that means Christian brotherhood is not an ideal, but a divine reality. Christian brotherhood, Christian unity is not an ideal, it's a divine reality. So what's Bonhoeffer saying, what's Paul saying, what's God saying when he says that Christ is, is his plan for our unity? He's saying that in Christ you already have a more profound, lasting bond than you could ever hope to develop outside of him. You already have it in Christ. The unity that we have in Christ goes straight to the heart, straight to the center of all reality. God's plan for all things is to unite them in Christ. And that, that unity that we already have goes straight to the heart of reality. It's a unity that will never be broken. It's eternal. It's everlasting. Right? We like to build connections between ourselves based on things that are, you know, like shared affinities, right? Or shared complaints. Very easy to build relationships on, you know, we complain about the same thing together. Easy to build relationships on shared perspectives, or shared goals for the future. Right? We bond over things like consumable items, beer and coffee. Right? We bond over things like that. We develop a relationship over things like that, over things like parenting strategies or educational strategies for our kids. We develop 
tight-knit relationships based on political philosophies or economical philosophies or social philosophies. Even in the church, <clears throat> we are not uh, immune to this. Even in the church, we think, you know, if we just had X, then we'd have true community, right? If only we all believed exactly, precisely the same thing, the same confession, the same articulation of theology, maybe, maybe then we'd have true community, right? If only everyone valued this ministry or that ministry the way that I value it, that shared value, right? then we'd have true community. If only the music was this way, where we had X, Y, and Z midweek opportunities, right? then we would have real community. Then I'd feel a real connection with these people. Right? You need to hear this. If you're part of the church, you already have real community, a real connection, and his name is Jesus Christ. You already have this community, this connection, and his name is Jesus. He's already become the hub at the center of the wheel of the church, right? He's already become the, cent- the hub at the center, and by your faith and your baptism, you are a spoke, realigned and reconnected to him. That is already true. Done deal. It's the gospel. Right? This is the good news. He has already accomplished this through his life and through his death. Christian brotherhood is not, like Bonhoeffer said, it's not a vague ideal out there in front of us waiting to be achieved if we can all kind of manage it, right? If we can create it, then it's an achievement out there in front of us that we haven't quite gotten yet. It is not that. Christian brotherhood, Christian community is not an ideal out in front of us. It is a divine reality behind us already, already true for us in the church, in Christ. You are connected to one another in the church in a more wonderful and permanent way than you could imagine that you could ever hope to accomplish through shared affinities, through shared perspectives and values on other things. Right? This is true because in Jesus Christ, this is why this is true, you have divine reconciliation. You've been reconnected to God himself. It says in verse 7, backing up uh, in the text there to verse 7, it says, In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So this is why the world is broken, our trespasses. This is why the second law of thermodynamics and spiritual dynamics is true and everything heads toward decay and disintegration, alienation, divorce. Because of our rebellion against God, our sins, our trespasses, our relationship with God is broken and that relational brokenness affects all of our relationships. It affects everything. So what's at the core of what's wrong is our relationship with God. It's because of that disintegration of that relationship that we live in a world like this where that second law is true universally, physically, spiritually, socially. Um, The wheel is a pretty big mess of jumbled spokes if it has no center, if it has no hub. If those spokes aren't connected to something, you put some weight on that wheel and start it spinning, it's just going to be a mass of spikes just crushing everything, right? Cosmic-level division characterizes us. Cosmic-level division. So we need cosmic restoration. John Calvin says, Outside of Christ, all things are disordered. What can we perceive in the world but mere ruins? 
We are alienated from God by sin, and how can we but present a broken and shattered aspect? The whole world is a shapeless chaos and frightful confusion. We are brought into actual unity by Christ alone. By Christ alone. Jesus Christ, because of who he is, he's the God-man. He's not either God or, or man, right? He's both of those together in one person, fully God and fully human, because of who he is and because of what he's done, especially living and dying for us, especially his atoning death on the cross, uh, securing our redemption, uh, which is what's signified there by the, the concept of his blood, that sacrificial death that he died for us, experiencing alienation and divorce from God. Because of who he is and what he's done, he's redeemed us, he has restored us, he has secured our forgiveness. All of this is relational language. The forgiveness of your trespasses is relational language. Right? There may be a legal aspect to it, but legal is underneath the umbrella of relational. Right? Uh, relational language, he's secured our forgiveness, he has restored us, and he's reconnected us to God. He has reconnected us, and because we share that connection, because we share together in the church that connection to God through Christ, with him at the center in, in this redemption through his blood, we are already in true community together. We really are. It's already there for us. There is real security in this community. There's real joy. There's real love because Jesus Christ himself stands at the center of our unity. And all these other affinities that we feel like we need, we just really feel like we need to be able to get together and talk about food and share that affinity and have that connect us, right? We feel like we need to get together and talk about X, Y, and Z, and if we really share a connection there, then we've got real community. All those things, in order to have a true sense of camaraderie or belonging, they, they amount to nothing but wispy cobwebs hanging between the spokes on this wheel. Jesus Christ is at the center. He's the substance. He himself is the substance of our relationships in the church. And this is a matter for our faith because it's not instinctive, right? We need to be told this. We can't come to this conclusion just by looking around and seeing each other in the church. Um, it's, uh, Paul says, a mystery that needs to be made known to us, right? The fact that Jesus is God's plan for our redemption, is a mystery that needs to be made known to us. It is not natural for us to look at one another in Christ, right? to see Christ in one another. It's not natural to celebrate Jesus Christ in one another. It's natural for us to operate according to the second law of spiritual dynamics. That is what's natural, to look at each other and find reasons for divorce to look at each other and find reasons for alienation and isolation. But it is absolutely necessary in every area of our lives to see Jesus Christ as the true center and the true ground of all of our reality and all of our relationships. Otherwise, it's just the closed system. It's just you and me. And who wants to be in that relationship? It's just entropy if it's the closed system of you and me. It's relational brokenness. It's unwillingness to forgive or to ask for forgiveness. That's not natural for us. Uh, it's just conflict with no hope of reconciliation through, through real humility. It's just self-protectiveness and self-defensiveness that causes me to withdraw. It's fear of confrontation that might disturb the illusion of our apparent relationship. Right? It's unresolved anger. It's, it's dysfunction. It's ultimately isolation and alienation if all we have are you and me. 
the closed system. We're the kind of people who are constantly looking for reasons to actually close ourselves off in relationships, to distance ourselves from others, to withdraw when we sense that our shared affinities are kind of waning or failing, they're not enough. When we don't seem to be getting any closer to our ideal, Bonhoeffer calls it a wish dream that he says he hopes would die. When we're, we're not getting closer to that ideal that we imagine we need for, for real camaraderie and real community, then, <clears throat> hey, you know what? We live in a transient society. It's not hard to totally uproot our lives, cast all those relationships aside, and just relocate and start over and try again. We abandon our relationships all under the pretense of actually looking for true community. We abandon our relationships. Nothing personal. I'm just not finding true community here, so I'm going to go look for it in other persons. Nothing personal with you here, right? Um, but I need relational fulfillment that I'm not getting. Um, when God's plan for our unity in Christ is made known to us, it brings us the clarity that we actually need. Right? It brings us real clarity. Jean uh, Vanier, Vanier, I don't know how you pronounce it, maybe it's French, has a book called Community and Growth. <clears throat> and he says, stop wasting time running after the perfect community. Live your life fully in your community today. You're in a community. You're there, and, and the, the relational glue is Jesus Christ himself. So we need to measure the quality, we need to measure the nature of our relationships not based on shared affinities that wax and wane. We need to measure the, the nature of our relationships based on the fixed, objective, personal reality of, of Jesus Christ as he offered to us in the gospel. And we need to let him be the deciding factor for our relational commitment to each other, right? Our commitment to each other should directly reflect our commitment to Christ. He is the glue that holds us together, not what I see in you when I just look at you in and of yourself, or what you see in me, just in me. Jesus Christ is what holds us together. And your commitment to each other should reflect your commitment to Christ. As Jesus said, as you've done to the least of these, my brothers, so you've done it to me. Right? When we look at each other, we see Christ, and our commitment to each other is based on our commitment to him. <clears throat> and the reality of our union in Christ should be the pattern for how we engage in our relationships, right? We have real unity in Christ. That should be the pattern for our relationships. If the gospel is true, if you believe that he is the glue that's holding us together, then you have real relational resources no matter what the circumstances or brokenness of your relationships because of your shared union with Christ, this Christ, this Savior, the one who's the suffering servant, the one who gave himself out of love to the point of death for people who did not deserve it at all. This Christ is the relational glue, and he is the pattern for our relationships. So through your shared union, as you're all spokes on this wheel with him at the center, through your shared union with Christ, you have spiritual resources to be able to commit to love each other. Pretty simple very difficult unless your vision is filled with Jesus Christ himself as you look at his church. Right? But in him, 
you do have resources to be able to commit to love one another, to stay together, to work through conflict, to bring up disagreements and try to deal with them together, right? To be patient and kind with each other, to express yourselves graciously to each other, to share your real struggles and real concerns with each other, to open up on that level, say, this is really bugging me. You have the resources to do that in Christ. You have the resources to extend forgiveness and ask forgiveness, to not let your frustration with each other or with this whole thing, this whole group, uh, cause irreconcilable differences. Your differences are reconcilable. They're already reconciled in Christ. Look to him as the center of your relationships. You have uh, the ability to work side by side in him, to share the love of Christ with others in so many ways. So he's the pattern for our relationships. In Jesus Christ, unity is the final word of the universe. That's what this text says. That's what the scriptures are about. In Jesus Christ, unity is the final word of the universe. And you can let that good word into your life now and your relationships now through your faith in him, through your relationship to him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, it does seem like division too often characterizes our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions, that we're quicker to walk away from each other than to walk toward each other in Christ. We pray that you would fill our vision with Christ, that you would help us to see him at work in this community, that you would help us to see the fact that uh, the church has already been formed through him, through his person, through his life and death and resurrection all on our behalf, that you would help us to see that that is the, uh, the engine that should drive our church, that, that our community really is uh, a beautiful and a glorious and a wonderful and an eternal one because we're knit together in Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would help us to know what resources we have in him, in this community that we share together in him. We pray that you would help us to love one another even as he has loved us and gave himself for us. We pray that you would help us to commit ourselves to one another even as uh, we're committed to Christ who is, um, who is good and beautiful beyond comparison. We pray that you would help us to see Christ in one another and to be Christ to one another. That you would help us all to grow up into, uh, into the unity that is ours already in Jesus Christ. We pray that your love would saturate our hearts and would knit us together and that you would give us clarity about Christ being the hub at the center of our wheel, that you would give us clarity about that so we would be able to communicate it to one another and to others as we share the goodness of who you are and what you've done in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.